Um, this Sunday we'll get back to Matthew, <clears throat> looking at Matthew 14. But tonight, just reflecting in prayer, um, I was going to leave this for our prayer time, but I want you to be in prayer for um, a family today who, um, one family that has started coming here, has been here a few times as visitors. Um, his name is, is Dave Strange, and uh, what, yeah, it is. I just want you to pray for he and his family. I'll share more in our prayer. here with us tonight surprised us all didn't know he was coming think about him often speak to him almost weekly so praise god for that at least through text we we're always back and forth and talking but to see you in see you in face in person it's a wonderful thing to see you brother it's good to good to see you such an encouragement to us um encouragement every time we speak i know um, Brian told me he got a phone call from you on Sunday, and you normally give us a call or text at, right after the message, letting us know that you've been in tune, you, you've staying with us. And that reminds me just of the blessing of being able to share, as we do tonight, just share this broadcast uh, through the Internet and with those who would like to tune in, that they can get that. But it's always good to know that Gary's on the other end and on the other side, even though he's in Arizona. <clears throat> I don't know how you survived that summer, but you... <laughs> we had one day this summer of 100 degrees, and it was, it was memorable. 40, right? 40 over 110. You can leave that in Arizona. <laughs> Try to race. <laughs> All right. Pray, praise God for your presence, and just to know that uh, we have that fellowship together should remind us again, our men, we have Saturday, we have Milwaukee Rescue Mission Ministry this Saturday. The way I remember it, it's always in between choir rehearsals. Choir rehearsals on the second and the fourth Saturday. So the third Saturday is our Milwaukee Rescue Mission. So keep that in mind um, as, we, as we fellowship. Uh, I've been reflecting on Job and the life of Job. So let me just turn there for a quick second. Um, of Job reminds us of several truths and I just want to restate these two truths that should encourage us in prayer for tonight. One truth taken by itself would be empty platitude and the other truth taken by itself would just be scary. Both of them together help us see um, that the great God we serve is, I was going to say he's on our side, but more correctly, we should say we're on his side, and he cares for us. Here are the two truths. <clears throat> I use um, just, just to easily remember that God is great, two Gs, and God is good. Those are the two truths. Um, for us today, I'll share it this way. Great actually means he's sovereign, meaning that he's in control of everything. I say that truth by itself would be scary if you don't trust him. That's the thing I fear with our government. They want to be all-powerful and, and have absolute control over us, and we, 
I don't know about you, but I don't trust them for that. In fact, our, our Constitution is designed that they not do that for that very reason. Our country was started because we, um, we wanted to escape the control of England and be free to serve God as we desired, and not have that control over us. So control that's absolute can be scary in, in man's uh, world. God is absolute, and he's absolutely in control. How does Job reflect that? After his, uh, during his suffering, he says, the Lord gives, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He recognizes God who blessed me, in Job's case, to be rich. And then he said, it's God who took everything away. Now, Satan is the one who wanted to do it, but God says, Satan, you can do everything but touch his body. In other words, it was God who allowed Satan to do that. It's God's hand that actually took from Job. And that's why Job struggled, and that's why we struggle with God in control. Say, God, I just found out bad news from my doctor, but I know you can heal. Why did you not heal me? Or why aren't you healing me? Why am I suffering such? Why do I have to go through what I go through? So God in control is that first thing that we recognize. And then the second thing is that God is good. He is good. In other words, he, I like it's expressed in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, the verse we very well know and memorize. We, for those, we know that for those who love him, all things work together for the good those who are the called according to his purpose. Um, and that's why God's sovereignty is not scary to us because we know the one who's in control loves us and has created us for him. So we can pray to God with that in mind. There is nothing that he cannot, that his hand cannot reach. He has power to do all that he purposes to do. He has the power to pull it off. Someone says, you know, um, I really love you. I really would do anything I can for you. That's a nice thing, but it's empty platitude unless they actually had a power to do something, right? To change our situation. That may encourage us, but it's really encouraging when they can actually pull it off. You know, it's like, hey, did you know I got this big bill that I cannot pay? Oh, brother, you know, I care for you. I give you my last dime, but I ain't got a dime. Well, that don't help much, does it? <laughs> But God is not like that to say empty platitudes. He can actually work on our behalf. And the fact that he's good means that he desires to work on our behalf. So much so that he sent his son to actually die on the cross for us. So the God that is in control is the God that, that stands for us and will, has given his son and given his life his son's life for us. Those two things. The world wrestles with, I told you that before, you, they wrestle with God in control and they actually wag their hand and blame God for all the things, saying that if he's in control, why didn't he do this and why didn't he change that? Um, but we actually settle. And in our prayers, we are saying, God, we know you're in control. We know you care. We pray for your will to be done. 
And I think that I want to wrap this up in Job 42, verse 2. It's what I call the summary of the book or the summary of what Job has learned and what we should learn. Look at the context of where this came in. Remember, Job was speaking, then his friends would speak, then Job would speak, then his friends would speak, then Job would speak, then his friends would speak, right? Then God stepped in. It's like God said, I had enough of this. I can't take no more. <laughs> Y'all just need to sit down, listen to what I got to say. And he did. And then after he spoke, whoa, <laughs> Job said this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job is realizing that the one that he has come to serve, to praise, he can trust that everything is in his control and that he actually will accomplish everything that he purposes. Isn't that good for us to know? As we pray tonight, that God will accomplish everything that he purposed. That's why we ought to pray according to God's purpose. Jesus taught us how to pray like that in Matthew, Matthew 6. I will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he will accomplish his purpose. And then pray that we would, um, we would, be at ease underneath his will, that we'll accept his will and not just grudgingly accept it, but gladly accept it. Um, doesn't mean it's not going to be tough for us here. There's some tough times. Um, but we know that the end, God's going to accomplish what he said he's going to accomplish. What is that for us? It's going to be peace for us. It's going to be uh, in God's Fellowships, as I started off talking about Sister Bonnie and that she's in the fellowship of the Lord, that's the end. That's how the story ends for us. And so we can thank God for that. In the meantime, we have the Holy Spirit in his presence to help us, to encourage us um, to be faithful like Job during the struggle, during the struggle we call life. Be faithful to God during the struggle because you know how it's going to end. It's going to end with us in victory and God accomplishing everything that he purposed to accomplish and us on the right side of that victory. So praise God. Brian, would you come and lead us in our meditation? Visualize what we're going to hear. And then we'll talk about it. Well, we'll all talk about it together. We'll get our ideas. And I want you to, <coughs> before we start reading, let's think about this. He's going to spend a lot of words describing things that he sees. I want you to try to visualize what he sees and why it's in the description, okay? So we'll read the first few verses to kind of introduce Ezekiel. And then we'll get into the meat of the chapter. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the chief of the canal, the heavens were open, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, 
in the land of Chaldeans by the Chibar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out from the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire as it were gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures, creatures, and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of a cat's foot, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands, and the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left. The four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces, and their wings are spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. Each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit would go, they went, without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures darted to and fro, like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels in their construction, their appearance was like gleaming barrels. And the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being, as it were, a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of the four directions without turning as they went. And their rims were tall and awesome, and the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went, and the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, when those went, those went. And when those stood, those stood. And when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Now above the heads of the living creatures, there was a likeness of an expanse, shining like awe-inspiring crystal, spread out above their heads. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward the other. And each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of the tumult, like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And above the expanse over their heads, there was a likeness of a throne, in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of the throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire, enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of, of fire, and there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bowl that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. What is he describing? Okay. What else you see here? Feeling odd. You 
you see here? There's nothing normal here, right? There's nothing normal here. What stuck out to you? Point out something that stuck out to you. As you were listening, you probably tried to imagine what we see. I'm going to explain the bigger picture of what we see, but try. What'd you say? So he's, you said a belt, but what he was describing was that his appearance was like metal above and like fire below. Okay. Why it only described three animals? What was the first face you think? The human face. How many wings did the creatures have? Or wings. What were they doing with those wings? their spirit wanted to go, they went. Where was their spirit? All right, so let's talk about this. The living creature's spirit was in the wheels, so you could say the living creatures were one with the wheels, right? So let's think about this in another way. There's a throne that's sitting on this expanse that's sitting on these wheels. And the living creatures drive the wheels. So you could see this in the biblical picture, you're supposed to get this image that this is like a great chariot, okay? And so the wheels are huge, and notice they never turn. Why would it be bad if they turn? Have you ever driven your car and you've seen a car turn like this, the wheel turn like that? That's not good. That means it's going to wobble and fall. The wheels of this chariot never turn. They always go straight. Wherever he wants to go, he's driving straight. The wheels don't have any wobble in them. They're perfect wheels. You almost get the image that the angels are on these corners of the chariot with a wing like this and a wing like this. And they're all touching each other. How could they all be touching each other unless they're forming some kind of square, right? And they're forming this square, and the wheels are either inside of them or outside. So however you want to put it, it's almost like... <clears throat> If you ever look at a boat, sometimes people have angels on the front of the boat or the image of a lady. And so the angels control the wheels. Why do you think he spent so much time describing all this? What is he trying to get across to us? We don't really see anything like this in the Bible, right? There is one other place we see something very similar. Where is that? In the book of Revelations, we actually see something extremely similar to this. I would say it out of all the images that we see, the only book that really describes things like we see in the book of Ezekiel is the book of Revelations. So he is seeing some things. As we go through this book, we're going to see lots of images in this book. It seems to me like Ezekiel, in some senses, was like an artist because 
all the things that happen to him, he describes how they see, how he sees them. He's describing this image. And he spends a lot of time describing these wheels. And it seems strange that the wheels would have eyes and all these different features that they have. But what's the big picture that we should get from it? Here's what we should get. First, God is on a chariot. What's a chariot? A chariot is an instrument of war. God, the Bible says in another place, God is a man of war. I noticed that God is almost like a man. He's an appearance of a man. We're made in the image of God. Right? We're made in the image of God. God is sitting on this throne. Why is God sitting on this throne? Because he's always in authority. What do the angels represent? Well, the angels represent something that is awe-inspiring that we don't fully understand. Because we don't fully understand the spiritual world. We don't really get glimpses of it. So things that appear strange to us, right? Think about our spirits. Our spirits are in our bodies. These creatures' spirits was in the wheels. That would seem strange to us. And it is strange. But it's a world that we barely get glimpses of unless we turn to the Word of God. But God is rolling around in this world that we don't really get a glimpse of too much but it's still all the real. So Ezekiel is kind of telling us this. I saw this awesome image that if you saw it, you would never forget it. But other people don't see it. Other people can't see it. And all of all this awesomeness that God has, there's an important thing that he does in this chapter. In the beginning, it says, the hand of the Lord was here, and he spoke to it. After he looked at the expanse, he said he heard a voice. And then at the end of the chapter, it said, I heard the voice of one speaking. And what you get from that is this. Ezekiel was looking, and he saw this image, and it was so big, he started focusing on the ground. And as he started to work himself up, he heard a voice, and God was like, up here, up here. And then he kept looking up and he's like, oh my, what is way up there like that? And God was like, Ezekiel. And then finally, Ezekiel. He was like, oh my goodness, is that God? And I guess the all thing, awesome thing about it is that Ezekiel, God is speaking to us. So when we hear God speaking to us, it's a great privilege. God is speaking to us from his throne. It's a great thing to be spoken to by God, right? It's an awesome thing to be spoken to by God. There's nothing to really take for granted. At the same time, it can be a scary thing to speak to God. Because God is an awe-inspiring God. And what Ezekiel's image does is, one is, it should make us grateful that we get to talk to God. On the other hand, it should make us realize that we're talking to God. I heard see people say some disrespectful prayers for They're talking to God like they're his buddy. Draw near to listen rather than to give a sacrifice of fools. What's a sacrifice of fools? Talking. 
Why do people talk uncomfortable with the silence? Because the silence is an admission that God might speak. Sometimes we got to be like Ezekiel and just guys who are creative like me. If you can imagine this as best you can, try to imagine what Ezekiel is seeing. But then try to think, why is he taking so much time to describe these odd things to us? Really deep into it. Because each part of it does mean something. All right, you can go deep into why the angels have four faces. What each of the four faces meant. And it does mean something. But as you meditate on it, it'll start to come to you.